0: Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening in. This is the Surf and Sales podcast with myself, Richard Harris, and Scott Lee, dialing all the way in from Austin, Texas, where the surf is either always good or always bad. We'll let him tell you about that. Uh, today is season one, episode four. In episode three, we talked a lot about interviewing, whether you are on the management side or on the rep side. Uh, and technically, you could use that regardless of You know, whether you're in sales, it's a good interviewing, a lot of good interviewing tips. Today, we're going to take it a step further and we're going to start discussing negotiations, things to negotiate, how to negotiate, what to say when certain things may come up. So, uh, with that uh, sort of basic introduction, I, I sort of want to sort of turn it over to Scott and sort of see, Scott, where do you think we should even start with this negotiation piece? Like, where does, if I'm a sales rep and I'm walking in or I'm a sales manager and I've made it past the interview and I'm going in to negotiate, or they say they're gonna send me an offer, what next?
1: Well, I, I think people need help understanding what kinds of questions and what kind of asks they, they even have. I don't think a lot of people know some of the things that you can you can ask for and, and potentially negotiate. Yep. So everybody's aware probably of of salary, of course, right? But there's also OTE, right? Commissions and what your kind of on target earnings are. Um also escalators. So and if you go above and beyond, you know, what kind of compensation is there? Um stock options is is a huge one. And understanding the value of those depending on the type of company and stage um, of growth that the company is at, those could be worth a lot of money right now or nothing right now. They could be worth a little bit right now or you know, a lot five, ten years from now. Um, and then there's softer things to negotiate as well, like PTO, uh, you know, work from home, uh telecommute kind of capabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had people negotiate uh cell phone bills being covered because that's they don't really, you know, have a an office line, right? And so that that's one. So these, these other than I'm sure you have some other yeah. things that you can think of as well. But these are some of the, you know, general things to think about. I think the ones I mentioned are probably pretty common. Um, there's other stuff that, that we can dig up, I'm sure, to Commute, right? This is big for, uh, like, you know, big cities, San Francisco, for example, where we're both originally from. Um, you know, you get bridge toll going back and forth over the bridge every day or, or BART. Uh, tickets right for the train and the subway, and everything like that,
0: yeah a couple um, others a couple others I want to jump in and, and add in um, and i'm starting to see this actually as a benefit is um, student loan payments like i'm starting to see companies um, recognize that this is a huge, huge thing, and if you can make a payment that saves me one hundred and fifty or two or three hundred bucks a month, it um, goes directly to my student loan like that's a lot of loyalty right there, like that's paying yeah. for my education, and the intrinsic value of that is huge. Um, what were some of the other things that that we've talked about too? You uh, talked about PTO, uh, work from home, cell phone bills, uh, your cable, I mean, not your cable, your internet access at home, right? Um, essentially any little expense you occur, incur based upon you doing your job is worthy of asking for. And you should really, in my opinion, I know Scott and I, we went through this a couple of years ago when you were sort of. Uh, moving from one place to the next and we negotiate a whole bunch of stuff for you. Um, Some of them are throwaways. Sometimes you ask for the cell phone bill knowing that you're not going to get it, but maybe they give you the extra PTO time and you decide not to take the cell phone bill. Right? Like I call them throwaways, ask for everything. Right. And then you've got things that you can throw away. You actually have something to negotiate with. Uh, So I think that's sort of the, the first thing. So having this list of things that you want, I think is one step. The other is you should put a value to it. Well, gosh, if my cell phone bill is, you know, $70 a month, uh, can I get them to cover half? Right? Like be reasonable about it. Right. Because technically you shouldn't, you know, you're still using it for your own personal use, but put a dollar value by it and then put that monthly dollar value extrapolate it out towards 12 months so that you know what your annual costs are. So it's, it's a lot of this is also helping you learn how to budget. Um, I do think it's worthwhile if the company brings in lunch every day or three days a week, you should at least know what that's value to you. Like that's a, you know, people often overlooked that, well, gosh, you know, that saves me $15. That's $45 a week. That's a couple hundred bucks a month. So I do need to recognize that, Hey, they're giving me something that, you know, even though it's probably table stakes, particularly in the startup world, you know, there's still value to that. So you need to put those things in there. I think gym memberships is another one. Um, although I see more companies adding those things on.
1: Well, even, well that, if, even if they right. even if they even if they can split it with you, you know, yep. like like you were saying, I, yeah. I, I think I think one one we haven't talked about yet is is health benefits, and, and you know, this maybe the single biggest. This may be the single biggest, but may, maybe more um, for people who are um, executive level or, or or higher. You know, um, getting half or all of your medical, um, you know, stuff stuff covered right? Yep. Or relocation, you know, yep. depending on where you're at, if you're moving from one place to the next, relocation is, is, is absolutely uh, on the table. You yep. know, it can be done. I I have um, gotten it before when, when I moved from California to, to Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been offered to me before as I've explored leaving Austin before and going to San Diego going to Germany one time I, I thought about moving to Colorado is another place. <clears throat> so th- these are all things that, you know, should be on the table for you to think about. And like Richard said, put a, put a dollar figure and a value assignment next to it. And, you know, I, I used to tell people just ask for the moon. There's no harm in in asking for, you know, the moon, uh, as long as it's not an egregious ask, right? right? It's not like you're asking for a $10 million salary, and your, your last job, you, you know, earned a hundred grand, right? right? These are things that make sense that are, <clears throat> are, you know, known by a, a lot of people, but, you know, maybe not as common for, for everybody. And maybe people don't spend enough time thinking through all these little things in ways they can, um, you know, get some extra value from the organization, uh, some extra cash, right?
0: Yeah. yeah, no, I totally agree. I think the other thing I would tell people to do is, go look and see what people are putting on their about us page or their, you know, jobs page, see what kind of benefits they're offering. Even if it's the competitor of the person you're interviewing with, right? Why wouldn't I want to go see what they're offering? If I'm this far down the road with one, I could probably negotiate something on the competitor. I'm not suggesting you do that. That that can be seen rude, but you should at least go see what benefits the other person's offering so that you can compare apples to apples or, go to big companies and see what they're offering or just keep doing research google you know best negotiation benefits or something like that like keep looking for this stuff because scott and i sort of figured it out the hard way of like i remember when scott was moving to austin and i was like dude you should negotiate that you're going to work from you know from your family lake house you know for two weeks or a month out of the year right, right. and <laughs> and we and we knew we kind of saw it as like a throwaway, and sure as shit they gave it to you. And we yeah. were like, "Holy cow!" And it worked out great because Scott could go and be with his family at night and you know in the afternoon, but still be able to do his job on a daily basis um, yeah. in a different way. And that added a tremendous amount of value and trust.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and 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 now now I, I wouldn't take a job without that, you know, yeah. because my my family wants to go back to California for almost a month every summer. And so I can't, I can't imagine a job and not, not being able to, uh, to do that. You know, another thing I I just thought of is, um, you know, anything that you could potentially get the company to help you out with that is investing in you and your performance and your ability. Right. So even if it's like a hundred dollars a month for, you know, trainings for you to go to or some certification or some coursework or something like that, yep. right? I mean, I, I have negotiated before, before taking a job, negotiated like a set budget for me to attend conferences or trainings or, you know, kind of continuing education type things <clears throat> just to make sure that I had the option to do that. Yep. You know, in, in reality, I hardly ever spent it because I was too busy and too many commitments and you know, didn't wanna go for three days to some place, but I, I had the option there. Um, and I think that, that that is important. And I think that you know, more and more companies as they look for competitive ways to, uh, to recruit talent, I think they're gonna be willing to flex on some of these things. Yeah.
0: yeah, particularly when the economy's good, you've got way more leverage, right? We talked about that in the last podcast. Um, what about PTO? Like there's a couple things. I'm just curious of your thought, right? There's the the traditional, or at least what I saw was traditional is you get two weeks after your first year. And then after three years, you get three weeks or something like that. Now everybody's moving to unlimited PTO. What's your thought on unlimited PTO? Like it? Don't like it?
1: Oh, I, I like it. You know, I I think in sales, it's a little scary for leadership and sales managers to kind of um, get comfortable with because you immediately start thinking, well, how how the heck am I going to hit my number if everybody's gone all the time? Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, we just have to adjust, you know, it's just not going to go backwards. Mm -hmm. You know, we're going to have to deal with it. You can keep raging against it if you want, but, um, we got to get comfortable with it. I, 10 years ago, I probably would have said, hell no, no way. I'm going to be able to do this now. I I get it. I, I understand You know, um, I have never, I don't think in 15 years gone on a vacation of any kind and not done work during the vacation. Yeah. So like, why, why squabble about it? Why, why harass me about it? Why give me grief? Right. 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 Um, and I, I, I think that there's a lot of comfort and value there. And I, you know, you know, as well as I do, there's all sorts of data out there that says people end up taking less PTO when they have unlimited pto right so i i'm in favor of it i just think it eliminates um a lot of busy work there's a lot of back-end work like tracking pto and hours and all this stuff you don't have to deal with that yep right and uh eliminates kind of some painful conversations sometimes where it's you know I have to say to Richard, no, you know, you, I, I don't, I don't think you can go on that trip. And then we got a conflict going back and forth and you're bitter. Um, and you know, the, in, in the, in the recruiting wars of today, like if, if you go to a company and they offer two weeks PTO, that's starting to feel pretty light. You know, I don't think we're France or Sweden yet where you've got, you know, three to five months, every single uh, year. PTO. <laughs> the month of August. Um, yeah. Yeah. But two weeks feels pretty light now, you know. Um, yes. Somewhere between two and four weeks, I think, is kind of the norm now. Uh, or people are just and un- unlimited, you yep. know. Yep. That's, what I, that's what I think.
0: So I want I want to dive into that a little bit, which is going to take us off the negotiation side. But I do want to you know make a suggestion to people if you're working with people who are. Um, whether it's unlimited PTO or you have to sort of earn, you know, you have to accrue your PTO so that by the end of the first year you have two weeks, like there's different ways to do it. One of my favorite things to do is to tell people to negotiate um, a week of PTO about 90 days in. Right. And it actually doesn't even have to be P right. Like it can be just be time off. You could just say, you know, I've got, I've got this family thing that before I took this job, you know, I've already committed to some reunion. And it allows you to build in a little bit of a buffer so that you can go take a break 90 days in or six months in. And you're doing it ahead of time. You can even you can you can play the game and say you know will that be covered? Or you could say, look, you know what? You don't even have to pay me for it. It's just a family commitment that I've got to make, uh, and I have to be there for it. And it's for me. I think it's really good because so many times we come in and we grind out and we almost burn out so early that to just have that one thing to look forward to. Uh, Is a really really smart thing to do. Um, It's a little bit more old school. It works a lot better when um, you don't get your PTO time until after you've been there a year. I'm like, I'm not going to work anywhere for a year before I take a vacation. Like, I'm sorry. Like, that's just you know terrible, 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 and uh, and it should be a red flag in the negotiation process. But um, get it worked out before you sign up. I think it's an important thing, whether it's paid or not paid, is is a great thing. My,
1: I've never sort of. I've never denied somebody who has come to me and said, Hey, just FYI, like I already have this trip to Europe four months. like, that's fine. Like (laughs) told me, right. (laughs) Exactly. They can't say no. Yeah. Right. The the only thing I'd be careful with and this, this does give me pause is, you know, when people say like they've got a trip planned and it's like in the second or third week of, of, right. I, I would I, I would very much advise people not to miss any time off at all, if they can, yeah. in the first 90 days. Yeah. At all. I but agree. beyond that, you know, you've probably ramped by then, you've acclimated, you've established some relationships and some form of trust. Uh, then there's there's no problem. You know, you've, you've got something planned or you want to go somewhere, take a little pause. I, I think that's fine. But in the first 90 days, it's so critical, I think. Yep. Really try not to miss time. I mean, I've... I've had people who say, well, you know, I can start on, you know, November 1st, but I've got a three day trip on, you know, November 8th, 9th, and 10th. And I've said to those people, well, let's just start you later. Let's just start after your trip. I think it's really, really tough on everybody to kind of get somebody in, start, and next thing you know, they're gone for a week. Right. So I, I would, that's my caveat to your, yeah,
0: yeah. I, I completely agree with you hundred percent. I absolutely agree. Um, I want to dive in for a second and I know we're talking about negotiations, but you brought up something where you t- talked about the mindset, right? And you talked about this mindset of unlimited PTO. What are some of the things that you've seen successful reps do when they're going on PTO and uh, to to sort of avoid that lull, right? You're not there for a week while you're not smiling and dialing. You're not, you know, your pipeline might take a hit, right? Um, What are some of the things that you've seen successful reps do to help prevent that? Whether it's overperformance, whether it's scheduling something through a, a sales loft or an outreach so that at least some emails are going out, like any suggestions you have for people who are weary of taking that time off as you suggested.
1: Well, the, the first suggestion I have is to <laughs> kind of cut the cord and stop stop feeling guilty or beating yourself up for wanting to take some time off or needing to take some, some time off. Um, we, all, we all have to decompress at some point in time, right? But look, I just said I haven't taken a vacation and not done any work, like, ever, right? But for me, at least, decompression is I get on a plane – I go to you know Nicaragua for a week. I go surf and I do a little bit of work. That's decompression for me. Yeah, I don't need to unplug twenty four hours um, a day to to get to get relief. Um, and I, I think that people should understand they can still go and take this trip, and do it and do a couple things. Um, you know, make sure that like you said, their cadences are going out, or make sure that. The email they're responding to people that doesn't take more than thirty minutes a day mm-hmm. right that doesn't seem like a big big deal to me yeah and I think top reps you know and and, and just kind of the top one percent of mm-hmm. of operators and performers <clears throat> you know that, that's what they do mm-hmm. um, and you 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 your pipeline is going to take some amount of hit, so you're always baking that into the equation. You know, like if, if my normal pipeline is I need 10 opportunities a week, right? But I'm gonna be gone one week. Well, I, I need 40 for the month. So, right. you know, the, the, the first three weeks, I, I gotta get more than, you know, 10. I gotta get 13 something, right? right? And so you, you, you build that in. Um, you time the seasonality appropriately. So for example, the dead zone between Christmas and New Year's, you know, some people, this is a pain point of mine, but some people are asked to go into the office during that period of time. Well, that's a perfect time to take PTO Yep. or even this week here of of, uh, Thanksgiving, or if you've got big seasonality where like, you know, in in the real estate industry, you know, the summer is difficult. So the summer might be a good time to take some time off, like don't take time off during the busy season and the rush in your industry, time it with uh, you know, a lull, right? Time it with the end of a quarter. See if you can blow your number out before the end of a the quarter. Yep. Right. Yep. These kind of things I've seen people um, be successful with.
0: Yeah, I think the one thing that you really said at the very beginning, which is, you know, you got to give yourself permission, right? Give yourself permission to feel less guilty about taking time for yourself because it's so important right? Like that's really, really important. Um, If you're not sure what you should be doing and you feel like you need to work, then you should definitely be coming to Surf and Sales at the end of February. This is the Surf and Sales podcast. So, you know, at the end of February in 2020, we're doing our next event. Feel free to check it out at surfandsales.com. Shameless plug, but we're allowed to do that. It's our podcast. Let's, let's, let's come back out of that. That was a little bit of a rabbit hole and I appreciate it because I think people need to hear it. Um, other things around negotiation, what happens when um, you've got you know, multiple offers, right? Scott, you and I do this, we're really, we enjoy this when we we're looking for jobs, um, trying to ne- get multiple offers all at once because it, you know, it feeds your ego, it makes you feel good. It certainly makes it easier to negotiate, right? And it kind of you know, gives you the ability to say F you to somebody if they don't give you what you want, right? Other things, and again, I'm I'm asking you from your frame of reference because you're you're the one who's been uh, dealing with either hiring people who have may have a different offer, and I'd love to hear that perspective from the manager, but also as as the person who has multiple offers, any suggestions around how to leverage those things in an appropriate way?
1: Well, he, here's something that that works for both sides of the table here. <laughs> um, if I am negotiating right? What I respect is somebody who gets back to me quickly and keeps the process going.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And as somebody who is on the other side of the table and I'm trying to hire you and I'm trying to negotiate you in, I got to move fast. What, what I don't like and what I think a ton of founders in particular and in uh, you know, some hiring managers and recruiting departments, I think where people screw up is they take forever. You take forever to get back to somebody. Look, like I, I'm, I'm a salesperson. I enjoy the recruiting process. I have opportunities and options. I'm talking to lots of different people. You should know that ahead of time. You should already know that. I shouldn't have to explain that to you, right? If I'm as good as I say I am, you know that I've got things going on. So what's the competitive advantage? The competitive advantage is to move faster, right? To be decisive and move faster. Nothing will kill a sales cycle in recruiting, in my opinion, more than you just taking too long. Too long that's, to get back to me. That's
0: just sales in general, right? I, like, I'm
1: telling you in the recruiting process, people screw this up all yep. the time, right? They take too long to push forward with the next steps. And, and because it's a part of, of sales, I think salespeople view that as somebody who doesn't know what they're doing. And that's a red flag. It's like, if, dude, if you're taking this long to negotiate with me and make a decision about hiring me, you're going to take this long to make any decision <laughs> about anything. And I don't want to work with that. Agreed.
0: You totally know? agree.
1: And I think that people should pay attention to that and really you know, make that part of the, uh, the vetting process, yep. right? Yep. And uh so I I don't know that I need to, you know, I don't go into uh my conversations with people and kind of throw it in their face like, "Hey, I've got this opportunity over here." I don't I don't think you need to do that. Right. I, I think the assumption should be I am valuable. I'm a valuable commodity on the market. You I feel that way. You hopefully feel that way. Because of that, you should know that I've been talking to other people and I don't have all my eggs in just this one basket. And so we should both negotiate in good faith as quickly as possible, right? Yeah. And I, I think if you are the um, one trying to hire somebody, I think you should give them their best, your best offer straight away. You yeah. know, I don't wanna, do, I, I, as much as I like negotiating and asking for things, like I don't wanna go back and forth 20 times, yeah. right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you what, what, what I can offer you if I'm trying to hire you, and this is probably 95% all that I can do. Cause I've already on the back end like had this battle because I really want to get you in. And I've already talked to the CFO and this is as much budget as I think I can get. Right. And if I'm interviewing, I'm gonna ask for the moon and I'm gonna assume that your offer back to me is the best that you can do. So if it comes back and you're lowballing me and trying to do this back and like you'll lose me because I will just take it as like, nah, that's sorry, not good enough. Right, but that, I'm going to but, that,
0: to but that doesn't happen. You and I both know that, right? You and I both know that that is the ideal. And I think you're right that that should be your mind, mindset going in because it, it gives you emotional leverage so that you can feel good about yourself. But, you know, that moment where you're like, well, you know, I've already talked to my CFO. I'm like, oh, so you're not the ultimate decision maker. Well, let me talk to the CFO. Like, that's where I want to sort of push my new boss, right? Like I, I'm. But again, I, you know, I work for myself, so I can say this. Yeah, you,
1: things, you have forgotten what it's like. You're exactly.
0: So <laughs> please don't do that because Richard said so. Please. Although I'll give you ten dollars if someone actually tell, listens to this uh, podcast and does it. I'll, I'll gladly buy you two cups of coffee uh, just to see what happens. And particularly if it's if it's someone you're starting to realize you don't want to work for anyway. Um, so that's one thing. Let me ask you this. I, I've got two other good questions for us to discuss. One is. Um, what about that, that person who is, um, you know, you're trying to interview, you're interviewing, you've only got one offer so far, right? And all of a sudden they t- turn around and they go to somebody else, right? Like that's a, it's a huge, you know, this whole thing, this is, this is like Vegas, right? Like you, you're, you're kind of all in on this one offer and, and I know that we all know not to be, but sometimes the situation changes. Any advice for, and I'm thinking particularly of the reps, I'm particularly thinking of the reps where they're like, oh, I really wanted that company. Even if I have two or three offers, I really wanted that one. And you don't get that one, right? What advice do you give to people who are, you know, they get down, right? Which they should. They should be allowed to feel bummed and upset and those kinds of things. Any thoughts around how you would coach someone like that?
1: Well, I think everybody wants to get some feedback as to why they weren't selected. Um, I know that can be really hard to, to get sometimes. People you know, there's a, little, a lot of ghosting or a lot of, you know, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings and it just kind of wasn't the right fit. So, But right. if, you can, if you can dig in and try to get actual constructive criticism, um, I think that's kind of the first place to, to start. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just think that a lot of times we don't get what we want And what we don't realize is that something better is, is coming and, and there's a reason for it. And, and, you know, whether that sounds hokey or spiritual or faith-based or whatever, I mean, that's just the way that these things sometimes work out, you know, and and you got to keep fighting and you got to pick yourself up and and keep going at it and learn from the experience. So, you know, if you had this one opportunity, like you got to learn from that. And we've already talked about this, but like, You can't do that. (laughs) You can't only have one opportunity there, right? And so what did you need, what could you have done different to have more? Um, How did you go into, how did you get into that company? Did you blind apply and like, make your way kind of through the process? Okay, well next time, maybe what you need to do is have some internal relationships inside that company, have already networked into that company, have already, you know, made nice or or have connections with a hiring manager or somebody who's a peer. Anybody, right? Get get a referral in there. It could it could make the difference between you know if you're tied with another candidate, and there's an internal you know worker in that company to say, look, you know, I know this person. If if I'm the hiring manager, I I will that will be a tiebreaker for me. Mm-hmm. You know, Richard referred that person in. These two candidates are tied. I'm going to take the person who was referred in.
0: So oftentimes oftentimes there's a referral bonus for those people, right? Yeah, abs- abs- absolutely. Although I would I would love it if someone said, hey, I'm looking, go on LinkedIn, say, hey, I'm looking for a job in a sales at this size company. I know there's a referral bonus. Ping me directly so we can help you get that bonus. Like oh I'd love that would be like <laughs> yeah. a genius LinkedIn approach, right? Like that should that should be me. a
1: thing. I would love to start seeing that pop up.
0: That would be great. I'll, I'll give you someone else another ten dollars. Uh, so, next question. This is a really important one too. Uh, you and I have talked about this at, at, to a great extent. Recruiters, right? Plus or minus, upside downside, thumbs up, thumbs down. I love working through recruiters, um, and you can be very strategic about it. What What are your? And I'm happy to share my thoughts. But you know, Scott, recruiters, yes. Recruiters, no.
1: Well, if I'm, if I'm a candidate on the market, one of the first things that I do is connect with every single staffer and recruiting contact that I can, because they have roles that they need to, to fill. And, you know, they, they, they want you in there in their pipeline. And, and so while I'm doing all this work, trying to find myself a job, what I want is an army of people at the same time, also trying to find me a job. Absolutely. Um, And, and I, I know for a fact people don't do that nearly enough. Yes. Uh, And I don't really, I don't really know why, but they don't do it. And that has really benefited me, um, you know, in my, in my career. Um, And I, I think that that's, that's something that, you know, all the sales reps and SDRs out there, even sales managers, even BPs. Um, I think that's something that you should take advantage of.
0: Yep. These are the things that I love about recruiters. One, they know the companies, they know the people who are hiring. Two, they know what the salary indications are looking like. They understand what reality is. Three, they can hopefully give you some tips on uh, your resume, your LinkedIn profile. Four, they're going to do a ton of heavy lifting for you. Ridiculous amounts, right? It's almost like they're your SDR, particularly in sales. They are your SDR setting up your first appointment. Treat them as such. Build a process around it, right? Establish that relationship. I remember there were times, you know, particularly in the economic downturn, or Scott, you were, you were in between jobs, or I was in between jobs. Sometimes it just felt good to have you know one or two conversations with a recruiter on a Monday or a Tuesday, or go meet them face-to-face because you felt like you were doing something about your job, right? Nothing else is happening. You don't have any interviews this week. Just having that conversation with the recruiter is a very positive thing emotionally because it's like, all right, well, that's, that's a step forward. Like that's a move forward. So I, I see it from that perspective. Now, uh, there's a challenge with the recruiters too is that you're right, they do want us in our pipeline, but they are comparing two or three candidates, right? So, you know, they could be leveraging you to help force another candidate. Well, that's just part of the game. That's just part of knowing the competition, just like any other sales deal, right? You need to be able to ask your recruiter, how many people are you putting in on this position? I understand you need to do that. I get it. I just want to understand my reality, right? Also, by asking your recruiter those things, you can turn around and say, so Mr. or Mrs. Recruiter, I'm unafraid to ask you that question about my competition. I hope you can leverage that mindset to whoever you're talking about to say this guy or this woman is not afraid to talk about the competition right that now becomes your strength so be sure that you understand both sides of this recruiter game but absolutely you need to dive in with them yeah um i think it's great i think the i think the ones that from a sales perspective just because they're friends of ours you know i think we both like the lions i think we both like bets recruiting um i think there's a couple others out there those are the ones that i sort of see on, on a regular basis um but by all means, leverage as many recruiters as you can. In our opinion, yeah, yeah,
1: and and leverage your your network. You know, we've we've talked about the power of LinkedIn before, but you know, if you're a if you're a salesperson and you've got two hundred connections on LinkedIn, you, you are making life really, really difficult on yourself. Yep. You know, the bigger your network is, the more exposure you get to yep. opportunities, <clears throat> and the better chance you have at at being somebody who's referred in. Yeah. Um, and you know this is a this is an awkward time of year right here where not a, not a ton of people are necessarily hiring right now. But right now is when you need to be doing all this work. You don't need to wait till January to start doing all this stuff. January, February people are going to be hiring like mad. Get in the pipeline now. Have the conversations now, right? Yeah. This is ways for you to be productive, you know, during what could be um, you know, a period of time where you might not be working or be in between jobs and trying to figure out ways to be productive and, you know, knock it down on yourself, right? These are all the things that you could be doing right now. you could be laying the groundwork to make sure um, you're in a better position, you know, come the new year than you are right now.
0: Yeah. One, one last question on, on the recruiter side of things, a couple of, or a comment and then a question. So the first, the first comment is when you work through a recruiter and it doesn't go well, Um, get feedback you can from your recruiter, but they're not your shrink. Don't turn them into your shrink um, because that will actually turn them off to you. Right. Um, Ultimately, it's not the recruiter's fault that that the offer didn't come your way. It ultimately comes down to you. Yeah, you can get some constructive feedback, some constructive criticism and work on those things, but don't turn it into a yeah. But Um, that's that's my first thought. Mm -hmm. My my question back to you and I have not worked through a recruiter on this how much negotiation leverage do you have when you're working through a recruiter, right? What, you know, does the recruiter help or hurt you in the negotiation process, Scott? Like, and, and you may be able to answer it from both sides. I know you've never really used a recruiter cause you, you do it your own, your own way, but what, what are your thoughts around using the, the recruiter? I, don't,
1: I, I don't, I personally don't think that that's the right way to do it. At some point in time, you're in direct contact with the company and the hiring managers and all that kind of stuff. And it, it should be you doing the, um, recruiting to me that 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 feels bizarre to have somebody else doing my negotiation um for me they're not they're not my agent it's not like i'm a pro athlete and i have an agent doing all the negotiation for me That that's not that's not how i how i see it that recruiter's job is to help get me opportunities it's then my job to land the opportunity and to negotiate appropriately and the, the last thing that 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 i would say is, um, you know, anybody who's listening right now, uh, feel free to reach out to me. I will, I swear to you, I will help you try to find a job yeah. I, in, in sales in particular. I know a lot of people. I have no problem making introductions, suggestions, any kind of tips and helps that, uh, help that I can, can provide. I'm more than, more than happy to do. You know, and, and look, if, if, if you were to come to, to surf and sales, you know, we would really be able to, to break this down and, and there's, you know, 15, 16 people who go every year who are looking to hire and yep. looking to network. And we've had people go to surf and sales with one job and leave working for somebody who was like hiring. and also came to, to yep. surf. Sales. So as my promise to you, everybody who's listening to this is, you know, if you want help trying to figure out where to get a gig, how to get a gig, need an introduction, I'll do my best to, to help you do that. You know, we, we all need some help with this, this recruiting process, but you got to take ownership and follow some of the things that we've been talking about here today.
0: I got, I got one more, one more, one more last question, right? And, and this is a big one, particularly as you move up the ranks, right? As you move to director, VP, SVP, negotiating severance. Mm. you've done this, you've been very successful at it. At what level are you allowed to start negotiating severance based on your opinion and your experience?
1: Uh, Man, that's a tough question. Um, Very, very different, I think, based on the size of the organization. If it is a big, huge company, publicly traded kind of company, I, I don't think there's a problem, you know, at an account executive level negotiating some kind of severance or at least understanding what their policy is um, and what they've historically done. You know, I, I think it's important. It's very important to know that um, to know how they treat people. And, and that's an indication to me of how the, what the culture is going to be like, yep. you know, and, and how they have that conversation <clears throat> early on and upfront in, in the uh, negotiation You know, process. If this goes south for some reason, let's talk about what that might look like. You know, if it's a smaller company, early stage kind of startup. uh, You know, to me, you know, I'm not saying this is right, but like to me, it feels like director level and up um, is it's it's kind of the right the right thing to to do. That's that's in asking for upfront in the interview process. So when would you bring that
0: up? would you wait till you hit the negotiation phase? Yes. A hundred percent.
1: Okay. A hundred percent. You can't bring that up early. You gotta, you gotta wait till this person wants to hire you. Yes. Right. And and they know, they already know that you're the right person for the job. Right? So,
0: so then, uh, how do you bring it up? How do you, so you and I were at that stage, Scott, I'm about to have made you an offer, you know?
1: I, I mean, I think you just own it and you own it without, without fear. I, I think people are, are scared to talk about it a little bit or it's a uh, taboo it's like you know hey we're about to get into a relationship why are we going to start talking about <laughs> you know how to split up our stuff if it uh, if it goes south but yeah you know shit happens man and and look the company is always going to do what they feel is right for them and take care of the company so i have no qualms and feel no guilt about asking for things to make sure i am comfortable and i'm being taken care of and i'm taking care of myself and my family so i think you just i think you just own it you just say hey you know everything looks good um talk about you know what happens if it goes if it goes south right is it you know 12 months severance is it 6 months severance is it you know 3 months the 2 week severance like what is it what does it look like if anything and again to me it's it's not planning uh an exit or like already agreeing that we're not going to work out. It's just, I'm doing what I need to do to feel as comfortable and secure and motivated as possible to go in there and work for you. And if I'm not not offered these things, that to me is an indication of the culture and the type of company and the type of person that I'm going to be going to work for. And that would give me pause. That would give me pause.
0: I would kind of say it that way. I I would probably frame it and sort of use a visual a visualization technique and, and just particularly if, you know, if I happen to notice the other person's married and I I'd probably say just out of curiosity, you know, what do you think about prenuptial agreements? Right? Because that's, that's what you're negotiating, right? You're like, look, we're both going into this relationship, falling in love, loving each other, but, the data, you know, is worse for salespeople than it is for marriages, right? <laughs> like, that, you yeah. know, we, we need to, and we should at least have an open dialogue about it. And I think that's how I would probably, I'd like, I just want to have an open dialogue about this. You know, we're both going into this eyes wide open. We're also both not naive and stupid enough to know that every relationship works out. So I'd like to talk about a prenup, right? And it will probably catch your manager off guard, but you're telling it in a story that they can relate to that they absolutely can understand. And even if they turn around and say, well, we don't do that. It was like, I wouldn't even say, okay, I'd probably go, oh, just out of curiosity, what prevents that? You know, I, I'd, again, I'd want to know more about the culture. I'd put more defense on them. I'd put, I'd use that in a negotiation where you say, oh, that's interesting. Cause you know, it, it, maybe it's a red flag about your culture. Now you gotta decide if you want this job bad enough. And if you want to be as big of a jerk as I like to be, but you know, it, those are the things that are going through my mind, how you turn around and soften the blow and how you say it. Um, that's usually why I ask Scott, cause he's pretty good at it. So that
1: bad, it? well, this is again, why you, you want to have lots of options yep. on the table. And, and, you know, I, I would not be as feel the need to be as blunt as, as Richard, but it is, it would be a red flag to me. Yep. Yeah. You know, if I, if I have a couple offers on the table and I've laid them out side by side, Right. And I know that a VP of sales tenure is 15 to 18 months Mm -hmm. and company A has offered me, you know, some type of severance if it doesn't work out for some reason and company B does not. It's tipping the scales, right? Tipping the scales. There's opportunity cost to me to go work for you. I could be working for somebody, somebody else. If it doesn't work out, I'm in the lurch and I got to go scramble and find a new gig. Like, you know, it's not a lot of money in the grand scheme of things to take care of somebody for a little bit to help them bridge the gap before they go do something, uh, something next. And I think that that small gesture says a lot about the people at the top and the, and the culture of the, uh, the company. And again, if, if somebody's not offering that, I'm not sure that in, in my role, I'm, I'm not going to, to work there. Right. And, you know, I think it's different for people at the size of the company and different stages of their career. But it's it's in this whole spirit of things to negotiate and think about. This is this is a data point for you and something to think about and consider.
0: Yep. That's great. So I promise that's my last official question for this uh, podcast. I think we've, we've hammered this one out for almost an hour. So to um, obviously thanks, everybody, for listening. We appreciate it. Be sure to check out surfandsales.com coming up in February, uh, come for yourself, make it a reward for one of your reps. Uh, we've even had people make it a reward for one of their customers. So we'd love to see you there and have you participate. So thank you again, everybody. And we will talk to you again next time.
1: Thanks all. See you soon.